take it from there. And so if your Bibles are open, uh, starting verse 19, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. All right, everybody's got one. Good. Starting verse 19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and the clouds dropped down the dew. Let's pray. Lord, we just come into your presence tonight. Thank you for each and every person you've brought here tonight. And Lord, we, we come to sit at your feet. We come to hear the words that you have written before the foundation of the earth. Lord, we pray that you would uh, just have them penetrate deep within our hearts, our minds, and our spirit, Lord, would be stirred. We'd be drawn nearer to you, and Lord, uh, we'd cast off anything that would keep us from the depth of the intimacy and the protection and the guidance and the love that you desire to bestow upon us. We thank you, Lord, for loving us when we're unlovable. Lord, but now that you've brought us in by your grace, uh, Lord, we want to continue to grow, and we want to mature, and Lord, we want to be used by you to help others grow and mature. And so we uh, pray that you would just uh, use this time in your word to have its perfect work in our midst tonight. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I think you'd agree with me that everybody, to some degree, I mean, there may be a few exceptions of, of people who have just kind of slipped into such a uh, moral state of depravity that um, they don't know what they're doing. But the vast majority of people, I would say, most everyone that you meet and I meet and that you work with and your neighbors are looking for some level of stability. They're looking for security. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? And they've got security systems on their house. They've got security systems on their laptops. They've got security systems uh, for the car. They're looking for safety. They've got a dog for safety. They've got a gun for safety. They deadbolt the doors, as I'm sure you do. I know I do. All of these things, people are looking for safety. They're looking for safety from... Or uh, from our military, from our political leaders, hoping they'll make decisions that keep us safe. Many people are just looking for a good night's sleep. They'd be happy with just a good night's sleep. Most people want some peace in their life. Most people want to enjoy their life. But not everyone wants God's help in these things. Wouldn't you agree? Most people you meet, almost everyone you meet, unless they've completely lost their mind, still want these things and are looking for these things, but not everybody is willing to say, God, what's the formula? <laughs> what's, what's the roadmap? What's the prescription for these things? We'll look at some of these things tomorrow night, too, in the workshop we'll be doing, but uh, God really does give us his perfect steps on how these things can be truly realized in our life. And I will say they don't happen all in one minute. God has us walk this out, working out our salvation. But they will come, and they will. It's just like uh, if, you, if you decide you're going to really plant a healthy garden, you probably don't expect it to spring up the very next day after you planted it. But if you follow the steps, and by God's grace, and he doesn't wipe it out with you know flooding like it's going on in Houston or something like that. Things that he can only he can prevent, 
you will see things spring up. And this is uh, what we want to look at tonight. We looked uh, in the last couple of weeks, we looked at the fruit of wisdom. We looked at the fullness of wisdom. We want to see the fruit of wisdom in our life. We want to see the fullness of wisdom in our life, which comes with joy and uh, just kind of God blessing the work of our hands and blessing the work of what we do in ministry or in our families. But tonight we want to look at the fortress of wisdom. Uh, everybody wants some level of security. And I, I think God wants to give us more than some level of security. He wants to really give us true security. His hand around us and us in his hand. And we start out these first two verses. Uh, you know, Solomon takes a turn here and begins to speak of what we can see in the physical realm around us. He says, the, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and the clouds dropped down the dew. I remember when I was 18 years of age, first time I ever went west of, uh, first time I went west of Louisiana, I should say. I've been as far as New Orleans. But I was 18, played in a uh, basketball <laughs> tournament out in Flagstaff, Arizona, and uh, took a bus all the way out there. And the, um, the Grand Canyon, the first time I stood at the edge of it, how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? The first time you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, even 18-year-olds who couldn't care about anything, normally we're bored, you know, at 18, you yawn at anything. But it was breathtaking to stand there the first time, I look, and it's 2,000 feet down, and you just see everything in the Grand Canyon. It's just like, you realize that is massive. That's impressive. It really is awe-inspiring. And this is just, uh, the scriptures say that all that we can see of the created realm is just the mere edges of God's ways. Just the mere edges. Brothers and sisters, we need to know and trust the source of our help. The one that created the Grand Canyon, the one that created Mount Everest. And if you look at the Grand Canyon, by the way, as uh, Solomon references here, uh, that the depths were broken up. Uh, this massive ravine there is, is directly due to the Noahic flood where God broke up the depths. And that's what actually caused mountains to actually, you know, you see the Andean Ridge or you see uh, the Ridge of the Himalayas or you see the Rockies, all of those. Uh, you see the trench, like the Mariana Trench and all these different places around the world where it's evident that God had flooded the entire, he broke up the fountains of the deep. But he founded the earth as well. And even though the earth, he flooded it, the earth is still here. He's the one that sustains it. It still sits in space. It hasn't been obliterated by some meteor or anything like that. God has, is the one that created it. He's the one that's established it. The moon sits directly in its spot, follows its lunar cycle, 28 days. The sun follows its path. God created all these things, and we can see his handiwork. We can see his greatness. But we want, we want to understand who the source is, and he's reminding us that the Lord by wisdom did these things. And by wisdom, it's Jesus. It's Jesus himself. See, he created everything we can see. I know he walked this dusty earth, but it was actually Jesus who created these things. He created the things that we can see. He created the things we can't see, like at the atomic level. 
He created things we will never see as humans, and human beings will never even discover. There are millions, probably trillions of things that human beings will never discover before Christ returns. And this is why Jesus calmed the sea. And his earthly ministry, think of the things that he did that relate to nature. He calmed the sea. He walked on water, defying any of the laws of physics. He commanded a tree to wither in one night. Nothing ever grow from you ever again, he said. He commanded a few, he commanded a few fish and loaves to multiply. That's, there's nothing, at least in molecular science, that would be able to define how is that possible. On the spot, they just be, keep multiplying. He demonstrated that he's the source and power over all creation. Not Mother Nature, but Jesus, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Let's look at two places. You know them, but I, I want the word to speak for itself. Let's turn first, uh, turn first to John chapter 1. I don't want to just quote it. I want us to look at it together. And we'll look at one other passage that speaks to the fact that the source is, the source is God. You have the Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But don't forget that Jesus is the creator. He's the source. He's the source of your peace, the source of your comfort. He's also the source of all creation. John made this clear when he wrote John's gospel, speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. See, all around us, the world sees the handiwork of Jesus, but when they want security, want peace, they reject the very light that comes from Jesus. And even as Christians, we sometimes reject the very light that comes from them too. We think, well, there's got to be a, a shortcut for what I want to see God do in my life. And Jesus says, come unto me, all you are weary, heavy laden. There are no shortcuts. Just come to him. And so this is Jesus himself. He was in the beginning. He was the one that created all things. But not only that, he's the life and the light of men. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Keep going right all the way past 1st and 2nd Peter, I mean just before, sorry, just before 1st and 2nd Peter, just after you get past Titus and Philemon, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, then Hebrews, just prior to 1st and 2nd Peter, and Hebrews chapter 1, we see something similar here as John 1. God, who in various times and various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, <coughs> who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upheld all things by the word of his power, when he, he himself had purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. In just these three verses, the writer of Hebrews is establishing that Jesus is creator of all, but he also is the one who takes away our sins and has conquered sin and death. If you're here with us Sunday, this is a repetitive 
message. See, the apostles and the writers of the New Testament, they never lost track of the fact that when Jesus walked the earth, literally the creator of heaven and earth was the one walking the earth. So when he went to the cross and died on a tree, he died on something he himself created and died at the hands of men that he had created. But he wants us to understand that he's the source, that everything is held together by the word of his power. And he gives the word and the molecules, you know, you, you know how strong atomic energy is when you split an atom. He gives the word and the entire universe would implode or explode. He's the source of wisdom. He's the source of everything we see in the heavens, the source of everything we see around us. And that should give us some a confidence when we look around us and realize, well, if God can create all this, he certainly can direct my path. He certainly can control what tomorrow looks like for me or what next month looks like for you. He's got all these things in control. I'm amazed when I watch it, uh, when I see how God provides for uh, the animal world. I'm coming back from uh, a run the other morning, and there's this little tiny bird. I don't know what kind of bird. I guess a sparrow or something. And there's these little bugs that just came out this week. They're white, and they look like a tiny piece of like a piece of lint that you know fell out of the dryer or something. They're a tiny little piece of white, and it's just kind of buzzing. This bird's hop along, looking like this, and all of a sudden pops straight up three feet in the air, grabs it out of, and it has to be a precise. I'm like the mathematical calculation of that bird coming up, hitting it right there on that spot. Doesn't miss a beat. Just kept <coughs> boom, right back to the ground and kept walking along, because God is in control of every single thing in the universe. Right now, trillions of things happen on earth. He's in charge of every, and he actually is aware of all of them simultaneously. You and I can't even keep track of three things we were supposed to get at the grocery store. Right? I'm guilty many times of coming home with two out of three. Oh, I I saw something else and it got me, if I don't write it down. But God has all these things under control. Let's look at the next thing if you're taking notes tonight. Look at the source, reminding us the source of the source of all wisdom. Let's look at the submission to it. Taking notes, verses 21 and 22. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life. Went back to Jesus, the giver of life. Life to your soul and grace to your neck. See, we have to submit. And we have to commit to walking in the commands of Christ. We've been talking a lot about that through this third chapter. In doing so, when we commit to the commands of Christ, when we really commit, say, Jesus, I'm going to commit to what you've asked me to do. Not just that I'm going to go to church on Sunday, and then I'll revisit whatever you want me to revisit the following Sunday. But we commit to it. And when we do... We start plugging into a great source of power, a great source of peace, a source of purpose. See, so many people, they're lacking a purpose in life. They don't even know why they do what they do. You could ask people a list of things. Oh, well, what will you do next? Well, I'll I'll do this. I'm in my 50s. That's what I do. My 60s, that's what I do. Why? 
I don't know. God gives us a power and a peace and a purpose in our life. He says it'll be life to your soul, that you can't depart from these things. You have to keep them. Now, when you make a commitment to Christ, thankfully, he'll help you keep that commitment. He's able to. But we make it first, say, Lord, I'm going to commit. Now, help me keep that commitment. He will. He'll help us keep it. And he says, you won't, he says, you'll walk safely in your way. I'm sorry, we, uh, back to 22. So there'll be life to your soul and grace to your neck. See, it won't be, it won't be misery. It won't be confusion. It won't be defeat. Now it'll be sound wisdom. It'll be clear direction. It'll be hearing God's still, small voice directing our steps. Now, I don't know, do you hear God speaking to you? I don't hear him audibly. I, I'd love to one day. I haven't yet. But I definitely hear God speaking to me directionally. All kinds of things. Whether I'm worshiping, right, tell me, keep your hands up. Pray and stand on your knees. Oh, get up and re- get up and open the scriptures. I, I just, it's a prompting. Do you, do you feel a prompting from God? Uh, might even sometimes prompt you, wakes you up in the middle of the night, says, pray for just five minutes, and you fall back asleep. It can be God speaking in so many ways. Scripture talk, the night watches. They're not always fun, by the way, but they are very, very beneficial to us. But he wants to give us sound wisdom. He wants to uh, tune our ears. He said, my sheep hear my voice. You know, the sheep, they know their shepherd's voice over other voices. Say, I look just like that guy. I bet the sheep would follow me. No. Not if their shepherd is right there. They'll hear his voice. They'll respond to his voice. He wants to give us this wisdom. He wants to give us discretion, especially when two things look like equally. Lord, how do I decide what to do here? He wants to give us the right way. Say, hey, this is the way I want you to go. What a blessing, knowing that the God who holds all the stars in place, holds the planets, feeds all the animals, waters the trees, He's been doing this for thousands of years, and after each and every person die off, his work still happens, doesn't it? Corn's still here. Wheat's still here. Animals are still here. Generation after generation, God does these things. He says, hey, I've got all these things under control. I also will direct your steps. And his words, if they're meditated on, we've got to move as believers beyond just reading the word. We've got to meditate on it. We've got to actually take verses and and think them through throughout the day or throughout the month. Maybe take a certain passage and just keep meditating on it until God gives you a deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper understanding of it. It's at the spirit level. can't understand how God does it, but he does. You can read the same verse, meditate on it for days, and all of a sudden it starts to mean more to you than he ever thought possible. It becomes a literal source of strength. But if we meditate on his word, and his word... And his commands are obeyed. He'll pour into our li- he'll pour into our soul's life. That's what he says. He says it'll be life to your soul. Verse twenty two. He'll pour this life into our souls, which, by the way, our souls 
all of our souls here. No one's immune from this. Our souls are prone to, unless the Holy Spirit is pouring life into our soul, our souls are prone to drying up, doubting, despair, restlessness, anxiety. Our souls are prone to all those things or some insatiable appetite for something that is sin or that God tells you to stay away from. Our souls are prone to that. Instead, he'll equip us. He'll equip us to actually receive life-giving strength, life-giving wisdom, life-giving direction. It's just something that God does. There's nothing you can, uh, you can't explain why he does it this way. But you literally, you know, when a, before a baby's born, inside the mother's womb, it's, it's attached to the mom through an umbilical cord, right? It receives everything it needs. But once that umbilical cord is cut, there has to be intentionality for the nutrients to get in, Right? It would be prone to dying if the nutrients don't come in. We are the same exact way. God doesn't, by his design, hook us up to an umbilical cord to the Holy Spirit. Instead, he actually makes us mature enough to know where to go and continually get life-giving nutrients into our system, into our soul. And Solomon is saying, this is how it's done. You're going to have to obey the commands of the Lord. And when you do, there'll be springing up fountains of life in your life. You ever meet people that you know are full of the Holy Spirit? We have, we have one. We go to the pastor's conference. Um, the guys that went, they'll know who I'm talking about. Pastor Joe Fosha, Calvary, Philly. He's full of the Holy Spirit. But I love his assistant pastor, Jerry Paradise. You guys have seen, uh, Jerry is the most nondescript looking guy who's the assistant pastor of a 10,000, 12,000 person church. You would never know it, but he doesn't carry himself with any airs, nothing like that. All you see is just this radiance of loving Jesus. I actually came up to him and told him, I said, Jerry, I just appreciate your love for the Lord. It's so obvious. He goes, I am in love. That's all he said back. Nothing more, didn't add anything. That's all he said back. And you see people that have this life flowing from them. But really, Jesus wants all of us to experience that. I look, there, are, there are, it's good to look up to certain people in the faith that have got, Paul said, follow my example. Paul had that kind of life. He had that kind of joy. And he desired that others would have it. And he said, but it comes through submitting to the obedience of Christ. You have to submit to these things. And then it says, it'll be grace to your neck. What does that mean? Well, it's like Jesus would put a necklace on you that says, I belong to Christ. He puts its grace around your neck. I've been purchased by Christ. I've been purchased by the Lord Jesus. And when you think about something around your neck, it's visible to other people. Whether it's a neck brace, whether it's a necklace, whether it's a neck tie, it's something that other people can see. When God puts grace around your neck, people can see grace on you. Now, 
They might act like they don't see it because they despise grace and they're still resisting grace, but nevertheless, they still see it. We've talked about this before. When there's a moment in crisis, guess who they will finally, finally come to? The one that has the ex exhibition of grace. They say, hey, I know that you, you kind of believe all that stuff you talk about. And you seem happier than I normally want to admit. the grace that should be visible. It should be evident to people that you've been saved by Christ and that Jesus has given you a grace to now walk in a whole new way. Because I, I don't know about you, well, I know some of your testimonies, but I walk completely different than I did uh, before Christ. It was a 180. It should be evident to people that what we've been given by the Lord is attractive I mean, if you look bitter and down, trust me, nobody wants the grace that you're trying to tell them they need. There should be peace and joy and mercy flowing from us. We should be gracious. This should be the grace around your neck. We shouldn't be short-tempered or no time for people. You know what you love about Jesus? He always, has time. he always had time for people. Today, nobody has time for anything. Nobody has time. Well, of course, Jesus had time. He, he, he didn't do much but just kind of walk around and do things. I don't know what people think. He made time because he was obedient to the will of the Father. So people were a, the biggest priority for him, not everything else. For, for us today, others, and we're going to get to this at the very last point as well, others aren't always the main focus. But when we have grace around our neck, the grace we receive, we really want to give that grace to other people. And boy, when you receive grace and you give it out, it's life-giving. The more you give your life away, the more Jesus fills what you're giving away. And the more of Christ you have in you, the more joy you're going to have, the more peace you're going to have, the more rest you're going to have. But it goes back to understanding that source. And then submitting to that source, Jesus is not just the source of creation, but he's the source of our life-giving strength. We want to look at next, this security. Security. This is what many people really, really spend a lot of time thinking about. How do, how do I keep myself secure? No, no harm come to me. No physical ailments, no financial pressures whatsoever. If people, if we could, if we could put ourselves in a proverbial bubble and protect ourselves from every single thing, we would. We would. It doesn't work that way. We have to put on the whole armor of God. But verse twenty-three starts here. Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or trouble that comes from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Those are some really great verses, aren't they? I don't know about you, but I've, ex I've experienced fear. I've experienced when I've laid down my sleep hasn't, wasn't sweet. I've been afraid of things. 
I've had my confidence shaken. Haven't you? Thank God we're still here, huh? But the Lord is saying, the more you draw near to me, the more I'll dissipate those things, and you'll become more and more. You ever look at the prophets and say, how did they get to the place that they seem to be as fearless as they were, as confident as they were? I thought about Moses. Moses, when he stood at the Red Sea, and everyone else was literally freaking out, and with good reason. I mean, chariots are rolling towards them. Moses stood there, and he actually, with, with some sternness, said, Stop it. The Lord is going to intervene. In, in so many words, that's what he basically said. But see, Moses, he had already stood before Pharaoh numerous times with his life on the line. And every time, God had preserved him. So he started to think, He's, he's really does have our back. He really, really... When David went before Goliath, he had already defeated a lion and a bear, which a lion and a bear can easily kill a human being just as easily as Goliath could kill a human being. So David's like, I'm confident that the same God that delivered me when the sheep were being attacked by these ferocious beasts and somehow God gave him supernatural ability at the moment, I think he's going to do it again. He's going to give us this confidence. In my Bible, it was, uh, well, coming up on four years ago, I left the business world to be a full-time pastor. And so I have in my, we're, this is the month of June. Today is June 1st. I have written in my Bible 6-21-2012, and I have on, on verse 24, leaving Microsoft. When I worked in the business world, <laughs> my salary was much bigger. My health plan was infinitely better than this Affordable Care Act thing that I have now, which is not all that affordable at all. And again, so many other perks. I used to get sent to really cool places. Now, the coolest place I've been is Sandy Cove, Maryland last week, you know? And I, so I wrote this, I happened to be in this passage that very month, and God, I, I have it highlighted here. When you lie down, you'll not be afraid. I, mean, I was at the height of my earning power. I was at the height of all these things, and none of it made any sense to me. And even today, some of it still doesn't make sense, but a lot of it does make sense now because you actually see the farther you get away from things, they become more and more clear in time. You see, God's, God's desire is human beings, souls, people to be saved, people to be discipled, all those kind of things. It's not the stuff that people working for that's going to end up on their tombstone, a little dash between two numbers. None of that stuff. By the way, you, you don't take anything with you. The pharaohs didn't take anything that's in the pyramids. They're still there being looted. Even there's an article this week that they're still finding things that they're taking out. They didn't take them to some alternative universe. They're all still there. But when you lie down, God says, hey, whatever I've called you to, whatever steps... You know, the first time, you know, I remember uh, the first time me and my wife um, we had one child on the way. Remember how much fear you had over that, parents? How in the world? I remember when we came home, what do we do now? Walk in the front door. Literally, I, I, I remember walking the front door like I'm standing there right now. We put the car seat thing on the ground like, how's tonight going to go? 
We didn't get much sleep that night. As far as lying down and uh, your sleep will be sweet, my wife got a lot less than me. Kind of the way it works, guys. I don't know why. Ours comes later. But whatever it is, God says, over time, if you obey my commands and you let me pour the life into you, you'll start to rest. You know, not, not many of us get in our bed at night and say, boy, I hope this box spring holds up tonight. Boy, I sure hope, I sure hope, our bedroom's on the second floor. I sure hope the second floor holds up tonight. Right? We don't get in a car and say, I sure hope all four wheels don't fall off before I even back out of the driveway. We have faith in a lot of other things, don't we? We have a lot of faith in a lot of things. And God says, I'm going to take you to the place that your faith in me will allow you to say, you know what? You don't have to sit here and noodle on this all night. Just go to sleep. Isn't that a good feeling? You, you really do have to get to the place where you, and I do too, casting all our cares upon him for he cares for you. You ever, you ever when you were younger, you'd have kind of a disagreement with someone and you'd sit there till about 2 in the morning replaying everything they said, everything you said, everything you wish you said. You've composed 14 emails in the middle of the night. And then God says, stop it. I'm in control of all this. Just quiet your mind. Ask for forgiveness for your slander that never happened face to face, but it boy did happen there while you're laying there, right? And then all of a sudden you're like, why am I wrestling with these things? God says, I want you to lie down, not be afraid of what's in the checkbook, not be afraid of, you know, some health concern. I remember hearing Pastor Chuck, um, I would take my lunch breaks at Queens College in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I would listen to the word for today. Anyone ever listen to the word for today with Pastor Chuck? I still remember the music and everything. I'd sit there, and he said one thing that didn't, didn't really resonate with the way I was then, but somehow it stuck in me still. I remember he, was talk, he surely was talking to older people than me because I was in my early 20s when I heard him say this. But he goes, he goes and you get to the place that you don't worry about every ache and pain. And I heard that, and it has stuck with me. I have not forgotten. All these years later, Chuck says, do not worry about every ache and pain. People, every ache and pain, they're on WebMD within a minutes. And he said, you've got to stop that. It'll rob you of the rest that God wants to give. Don't be afraid of every sudden terror. Don't be afraid. Everyone else wants to weird out about the Zika virus? Don't. What about terrorism? What about all these things? What about my kids walk away from the Lord? All, yeah, all those things could happen, but which of those can you actually control? None. None. So he says, your security. Am I holding the moon in place? Goes back to the source again. Am I holding the moon in place? Yes. Did I, did I go to the cross and finish the work? Did I say it's finished? Yes. Did I conquer sin? Yes. Did I conquer the grave? Yes. Am I sitting at the right hand of the Father? Yes. Am I in control of everything else? Yes. Are you going to obey? Well, I'm not sure. We need to say yes to that one too. This word stumble, by the way, um, verse 23, your foot won't stumble. Uh, the Hebrew word is nagaf. It's uh, 27 times it means smite. Uh, five times it means put, put, the worse, put to the worse. 
Uh, three times means smitten down. Three times means plague. What it really means doesn't mean that you will never stumble at all. But if you look at the connotation of those different definitions, it means that God's going to keep, God's going to protect you from Satan just running you over. He's got our back. He's got our front. We put on the whole armor of God. We actually are mighty and pulling down strongholds in the power of the Holy Spirit. Satan has no... If, uh, the message from Pastor Lewis Neely, we're up at the past counter. He said, uh, without the armor of God, we've got no chance against the devil. But he said, with the armor of God, the devil has no chance against us. We have to remember that. We don't have to be afraid of these things. He'll be our confidence. We won't be run over. We won't be struck down. God won't let us struck. If we fall down, we'll get back up because there's grace to get back up. Everyone here has fallen down. We're able to get back up. Proverbs 16, 3 says, Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Commit your work. Just do the things God's asked you to do. When you do the things God's asked you to do, little by little, all the other things start to fade away. Right? When you're helping, serving, worshiping, there's no time for it to be focused on all the other things. Little by little, our faith and confidence will continually and eventually grow. In Psalm 121, verse 3 and 5, it says, He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Isn't that great to know? God never sleeps. He is the only being in all the universe. Well, the angels too, because he's created them as eternal beings. But, but he's self-sustaining. God never sleeps. Never tired. Never fatigued. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Any goodness we've ever received has all come from God. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights. Never sleeps, never slumbers, never tires. Quite the opposite of us. We get tired, and we need his help. Even in sleep, we need his help. That it would be restorative, that we would get the right kind of sleep, that the dreams that he gives us would be things that would actually encourage us. But he does these things. He'll be our confidence. Let's take a look at the last thing tonight. He wants to be our security. He will be our security. Lastly, I want to look at service. Thank you. It's already up there. Kind of a gear shift here in verse 27. Do not withhold good from those of whom it is due. When it is in your power to do, when it is in the power of your hand to do so, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. I have a stinginess there, hoarding, not willing to part with something. Verse 29, do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Certainly a Christian shouldn't be doing this. Verse 30, do not strive with a man without cause. If you have done you no harm. We're to be peacemakers, not nitpickers. People will nitpick about anything, right? We're not to be that way. We're to overlook a lot of faults in people because God's looking, overlooking a lot of faults in us. Do not envy the oppressor. 
choose none of the... Don't get jealous of people that are achieving great success by the world's means. Do not envy or choose any of their ways. Their, their ways are built on sand. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord. There's a lot of you know, stars in Hollywood and the music industry. A lot of what they do is perverse. What they're doing is an abomination, but they've achieved great riches. But the latter part of the verse, an odd juxtaposition here, but his secret counsel is with the upright. His secret counsel. Wants to give that to us. We'll talk about that in just a minute. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. He blesses the home of the just. We don't need to bless ourselves. God will bless us. We don't need to figure out ways to bless ourselves. God will do the blessing. Verse 34, surely he scorns the scornful, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace and humility always go hand in hand. Where there's humility, there's going to be grace received and grace given. But the wise shall inherit glory. That's an eternal promise there. The shame, shame shall be the legacy of fools. So this last section, if you're taking notes, the service. We are called by Christ. In Matthew 5.13, Jesus says, he only said it one time, recording the gospel. But it's in Matthew 5.13, he said that we're called to be the salt of the earth. And salt does so many good things. It's a preservative. It is an antiseptic, antibacterial. You can use it in that way. Amazing what good things salt does. Certainly gives flavor. Um, I know my food benefits greatly from salt. How about yours? People, and when, I, when I see the box that says unsalted pretzels, I'm going right past that. <laughs> I don't even know the point. If there's not pretzel in the salt, why in the world make it? You know, I'm like, that better be drowned in mustard or something, but... Uh, But when you look at the whole picture presented in Proverbs chapter 3, you look at the entire picture of the last three, week, three weeks, uh, the fruit of wisdom and the fullness of wisdom, now this, this fortress of wisdom. You look at the entirety of the picture. When we submit our hearts to the commands of God's word, and we trust in his word more than the world trusts in their wallet, more than the world trusts in their abilities, more than the world trusts in their college degrees and their intelligence, more than they trust in all the you know, protections they have. Maybe, maybe some person's trust is in the Prudential Rock. Remember those commercials? Or whatever it is that people put their trust in. But we really put our trust in the Lord, and we ask God for his help. You know, I ask God for help all the time, don't you? He wants us to ask for help. We're as needy as a two-year-old. We really are. We're needier than a two-year-old. Because Jesus said, apart from you, you can do nothing. And I know a few things two-year-olds can do. So we, we ask for his help. We ask for his guidance, which he not only gives, but then he gives his help and guidance, and it really, it really starts to shape our mind, and it shapes our thoughts, and it shapes our decision-making. And it even shapes our overall health. If you're here tomorrow night, I'm going to talk about this. It's in Proverbs, by the way, and it's in the Scriptures. 
that really part of the fountain of youth is right here. I'm not talking about the physical heart. It's a heart that beats after the Lord, and God really will bless it. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't things, you know, you can say, well, Johnny Erickson taught us in a wheelchair. That's true. So this is not a hard, fast, every single situation. But generally speaking, that's what Proverbs are all about. They are, if followed, this is the normative flow from the throne of God. But there are anomalies to everything. As I was telling some of the guys recently, I said, God only had a prophet preach naked once, and thank goodness that's, all, that's the case, right? <laughs> there are anomalies to everything. I don't think any of you would enjoy that commission. I know I wouldn't. But um, by faith, you know, God will, over time, not only will he give us his help and guidance, but he really shapes everything about us into the very plan that he ordained for us at salvation, which was to conform us to the image of Christ. God's not looking to mess our lives up. He's looking to bless us, but it's only in obedience to his will. And then when we, by faith, we, we start to honor him, truly. Go back to the first part that you can't forget any of chapter 3. Don't forget what we discussed in the first two sections. We still have to give him our first fruits. That means our time. That means our talent. That means our treasure. It doesn't matter who you are. No matter which income level you have, doesn't matter, well, I don't have as much time. We'll still give them the first fruits of the time that you do have. I don't have any talents. Well, I, first I would say you probably do. Ask God to show you what they are. It could be just, in, you could be given a gift of encouragement. You never knew you had it. You haven't cultivated it. Ask other people to say, hey, what, do you, what gifts do you see in me that I give those first fruits to the Lord? But as we do that, and we patiently, and we appreciatively, with gratitude, we respond to even his correction, right? Even, I'm glad God corrects me. I really am. Looking back, I mean, it's ne- some of it's gentle. Some of it's like a coach correcting a, a, a player on something that's not that, hey, 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 you're dribbling the ball wrong. You're doing great, but just here's all I want you to do. I mean, it's not, some of the correction's light, but some of it's not so light. Some of it's a firm whack in the right direction. Where God has to get our attention because we're, we're hard-hearted or we're stubborn. But when we do get that correction, when we receive it, it brings happiness to our life, doesn't it? We're like, wow, I'm glad he didn't let me go down my own way of thinking. We find happiness in Jesus. By the work of his spirit, he shapes our minds, our hearts, and our faith. And then we remind ourselves, we remind ourselves that God is the source of life. He's the creator. The source of creation, wisdom, salvation. He's the source of salvation. There is no other source. No other name given un, under heaven whereby we must be saved. But Jesus, he's the chief cornerstone. He really is the anchor of your life. And you really know he's the anchor of your life. Not just a word or a song. You know deep in your spirit he's the anchor of your life. He's the one that holds everything in his nail-pierced hands. He created the world, but now he holds them all in his nail-pierced hands. Hands. The Bible tells us even when he returns, we're going to see the nail pierced. Hands and feet. Those won't go away. It's a reminder that he not only created the world, but he saved the world. Did both. And as we obey Christ and we receive the grace 
that came first with salvation, but then we've received grace. I love Titus talks about this, called training in grace. We received the grace to take up the cross. Do you know you need grace to even take up the cross? You'd never take up the cross if it wasn't for grace, nor would I. We could never even follow the commands. Once we receive Christ in us, we have the ability through grace to say yes, because we're no longer into bondage to sin. We can take up the cross. We find that at surrender to the cross, it's the surrender at the foot of the cross that gives us the safety and security. First, from what? Our own flesh. We need to be protected. I need to be protected from me. You need to be protected from you. And then you need, and I need protection from the outside forces of darkness, the enemy, and the world. That's what the grace gives us. See, Satan means to use attacks, outside attacks. Of course, our own flesh contributes anyway, but the outside attacks are from Satan to derail us, to grip us with fear, or to just throw in the towel. Or to just follow what everybody else said. Well, it seems to be uh, my coworkers, they seem to be happier than me. Well, first of all, they, they don't tell you what they really are feeling. You're following them on Facebook and you think their life is perfect. They didn't tell you any of the non-perfect things in their life. They only show you when all the makeup is on and they look fantastic and they're at Cheesecake Factory and everything is, you know, whatever it is. Right? Satan tries to derail Christians and thinking, man, I'm wasting my time. I'm at church on Wednesday night, and and everyone else is having a great time doing this, that, or the other. Meanwhile, they might not be getting any good sleep. They might be on four prescription drugs just to kind of keep it together. I knew people in the business world that way, quite a few actually. But for us, all these areas, all these areas of faith and submission, they involve our will, they involve our hearts and our mind. And our spirit, God wants our spirit to wisely say yes to being a true worshiper of Jesus. John chapter 4, Jesus said the Father is looking for what? True worshipers who obey in spirit and truth. And as we obey, and as we pray, and as we sing, and you guys were singing great tonight, as if, you know, I felt like there was three times as many people here as there were. But as we sing and as we give Willingly, and as we surrender, and as we worship and wait for God's sanctification, we wait for his deliverance, we wait for his blessing. All of that is doing a work in us that's really causing us to be salt and light. First in our own families, in our extended family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. And while we we, we just keep worshiping the Lord, and while we wait on the Lord, then he sends us out. We don't get to just hang out in here where it's nice and quiet and there's no darts flying. There's no accusations and there's no difficulties. No, he sends us out into the vineyard. You know what's in the vineyard? Dirt, thorns, hot sun, sweat, thunderstorms, ants. I hate ants. They're all over the yard these days. I don't know what it is now. They're coming out more than ever. That's just, the proverb says good things about ants. So I, hate was maybe too strong of a word. I loathe it. No, I'm just kidding. But all of these things are out in the vineyard. And it takes effort out in the vineyard, doesn't it? To prune and to pick and to uh, do the work of harvesting. 
He sends us out there. The great commandment, the first great commandment is what? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he said, Jesus said the second is like it. He said the second, he didn't just say the second is, he said the second is like it in meaning that they are two huge pillars and everything else hangs off or anything, all the law and the commandments are under those two pillars. He said the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what the rest of these verses really speak to. It takes tangible effort. Then tangible effort to actually love people encroaches on our personal space. Really encroaches on our time. God, I already gave you Sunday morning, Wednesday night. Now you want me to wash people's feet? Isn't that what Jesus showed just before he went to the cross? He had already done three years of serving, healing tons of people. He's about to go to the cross, and he says, now I'm going to wash your feet. Because he was teaching future pastors and evangelists and apostles, this is how you're going to teach the people. They have to wash feet. Well, what if they're tired and they've already been to church that day? doesn't matter. They still have to wash feet. That's a metaphor for us. I've not washed any literal feet, except for my kids. And that was when they were much younger. But we do wash the feet of people through serving them, reaching out. How are we coming in contact with people? Are we doing the works God's prepared for us before the foundation of the earth to do? Are, are we doing what's set before us that Jesus has put before us? Or are we doing what is convenient? It's a big difference. Right? We can do what's convenient or we can do what Jesus asked us to do. They're not the same thing. Sometimes they are both convenient and the same thing, but usually they'll be in opposition. 1 Peter 4 9, therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Notice Peter ties the pain and effort that comes with dying to ourselves, because there is some pain in dying to ourselves. He ties that to becoming new creations in the Lord from the very creator who created everything else. We're new creations as well. And he ties that to doing God's will. That just as the creator has created all things for his good pleasure, he's created us as new creations for his good pleasure. And his pleasure is that we go and do the works that he set before us. In these last nine verses, they deal with our outward walk with the world. See, a wise and obedient servant of Christ is someone that loves and serves God. That's true. But they also walk in love and meekness towards everyone they interact with. They don't say to their neighbor, hey, come back and uh, I'll be glad to go get that out of my garage. Come back tomorrow because uh, I'm watching the game. Right? It just the emphasis means that it's going to have to take some effort to love people, and they probably will step into our comfort zone. They probably will interrupt us at the wrong time. Your kids have a way of doing this, right? You just sat down. Glass of fresh tea is right there. Can someone help me with my homework? Or whatever it is, right? It's the same way with the rest of the world. They need God and God says, I need to. Jesus was tired and exhausted. He was ready to kind of take a break. And the multitude followed him. He's, and he's, he basically said, all right, we're going to stay here and minister to these people. A love and commitment to God that doesn't extend 
hear this as we come near a cl- uh, come to a close here. Love and commitment to God that, that doesn't extend as actions and grace and kindness and service towards other people is a hollow commitment. It's, it's, it's empty. It's meaningless. Someone that worships God but doesn't have any actions, no grace, they're not kind, they don't reach out, never serving other people. James talks about this. We're going to be in Galatians starting in July. Galatians is actually all about grace. But James is about the works that come with someone who's been changed by grace. So if you ever want to kind of take those two books, they're great together because Galatians tells us that it's all of grace, but James tells us that once we've received grace, there will absolutely be works. James says in James 2.14, What does it profit, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Verse 20, Do you, not, do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Notice he used the word foolish, which is the opposite of wise, which is the emphasis of Proverbs chapter 3. Jesus calls all the virgins that in Matthew 25 foolish virgins that all reject the counsel of God. So we've been called to extend our hands to people. We've been called to serve. That's what Jesus did when he washed those feet. And you have to wash the feet of your neighbors. And you have to, uh, in verse 30, not strive with a man. Figure out when I enter a room, I'm going to be the cause of peace in this room. Before I was saved, and even after I was saved, I would argue with anybody about anything. You may not see that in my demeanor, but it was. It was. Some of you say, I still see it. No, I hope not. But my wife could tell you, I mean, her family did not really like me for a lot of years. And with good reason. Now they love me. And thankfully, uh, um, over time, you know, I've apologized to many people and uh, gone back and said, you know, that was me then and here I am now. And, but God wants us to be the person it doesn't devise evil. It's always looking for ways to bless people. Not looking for ways to get ahead, but looking to say, how, how can I actually serve this person? How can I reach out with hands of love? And look at, and look at verse 32. It says, but the perverse person, we, we understand that they're an abomination. But in the same verse, but a secret counsel is with the upright. The secret counsel of God doesn't just come to us in times of prayer. The secret counsel of God does not just come to us in times of praise, although it does, does come in prayer, does come in praise. It doesn't just come to us in times of petition. It doesn't just come to us when we're worshiping God. The secret counsel of the Lord actually often comes when we're pouring out our lives in service. When you least expect God to answer something, it's when you're actually not focused on what you were maybe praying for, and all of a sudden, Secret counsel, Lord, comes. You might be in the middle of changing a diaper over in the nursery. <coughs> God bless you guys to do that, because I hated the year that me and my wife were in uh, the two-year-old ministry. That, uh, that was not my thing. I have a great love, I mean, great love and respect for people who do that. I'd give you all a raise if we had any such thing, but uh, we don't. So just thank you. But you know, you may be for me, it might be while I'm preaching, I might be serving the Lord and preaching, and I will see things that were not in my notes, and you don't know it, 
and I just instantaneously, the Holy Spirit will give something. Uh, for you, it may be while you're mopping the floor. Maybe while you're out cutting the church grass. You may be cutting the grass, and something you prayed for weeks earlier, God gives you an answer to. Maybe while you're visiting, sharing with one of the youth at Bonaire. Maybe while you're taking a meal to somebody. Maybe while you're writing a note to encourage a coworker that's unsaved. Anything. God can speak at those times. The secret counsel. God can bring you something you've never even thought of before, never even prayed for. You ever had God do things you didn't even pray for? Yeah. Also, it can be something you've long forgot about, and you prayed, and you stopped praying for it. This happened to Zacharias, the father of John. He was in there uh, praying for the sins of the people, and God says, you're going to have a son. It seems that him and Elizabeth had given up on that idea, but God hadn't given up on it. He spoke prophetically and powerfully. He heard the secret counsel of the Lord at that time. And as we think of God's counsel, we need plenty of it, don't we? To be a light in the difficult places and with difficult people, with difficult situations. But just remember, as we close, that's why God's put us in the world, to be a light in difficult places. If you didn't have a flashlight, I mean, if the room wasn't dark, you wouldn't need a flashlight, Right? It's precisely why we're put in difficult places, precisely why we're put in dark places, precisely why we're put beside a neighbor that for the first five years didn't like your Christianity or your coworker. I had a coworker in Charlotte, North Carolina, could not stand me. I prayed judgment against her and all kinds of stuff. And no, <laughs> but I did tell God, I did tell the Lord, I'm like, Lord, I don't even like her, but I'm going to try and love her out of obedience. I was honest with God. I said, I do not like her, but I'm going to love her. It's weird. When you put your actions, your heart will then follow. Later, I started to feel sorry for where she was at. And she ended up liking me, and it was weird. She didn't even get saved, but she started to really respect, and you know everything smoothed out. Because you just have to follow what God says. You have to do it. Why he put us there? To shine and be led by the Spirit. Warren Wearsby said, if our neighbor is a perverse person who scoffs at our faith, the Lord will guide us and let our light shine and his love shown so that we will influence them but not be led astray by them. The balancing act, right? We're close enough to reach people but not to adopt their way of living. Instead, we are light to shine the way of God. And as we close it here in verse 34 and 35, he gives grace to the humble, the wise shall inherit glory. It always goes back to the throne of grace. Always goes back to the throne of grace. God wants us to remember humbly that we've received grace, and when we've humbly received grace, we can't help but want to give grace. Can't help but want to say, hey, I was once where they were. I was once obnoxious. I was once hard-headed. I was once had an answer for everything. You ever meet people that have an answer for everything? I was one of those people. And God wants us to not be that way. He wants us to become reliant on his spirit, a light, a sweet-smelling fragrance, as the New Testament says. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you again for the wisdom of your word, for the security of your word. Lord, there's so much here, we can't cover it all uh, in, in the near the depth that your spirit speaks, but I pray that you would take what little that we've discussed tonight and you would, uh, Lord, just have the roots go deeper, that we would lie down. Everyone here tonight would lie down and just meditate on these things as we fall asleep that we don't need to worry about things. You're in control. 
that you love us enough that you're sharing these things with us that we might have joy and that joy might be complete. And Lord, the grace we've received, we would give it out to others with which we freely drank, we would freely give. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Men, in about 10 minutes, we're going to pray right over here in this corner. And some of you wives like to hang out and uh, let the kids run around. It's still light outside, so...